Lord Jesus Christ, open our hearts this morning. We want to hear your voice speaking to us clearly. Lord, illuminate our hearts. Make us see you more clearly and therefore be transformed more into your likeness. We ask this, Christ, in your name and for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Well, greetings on this fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, this afternoon, we have two Christmas Eve services, one at 3 o'clock, one at 5 o'clock. Those are different than this morning. This morning, we're celebrating this fourth Sunday of Advent. Those will be Christmas Eve candlelight services, and then tomorrow on Christmas Day, we'll have a noon uh, service, or not noon. Whew, oh, that was close. Ten yeah, the staff were like, no. Uh, 10 o'clock, we'll have a 10 o'clock service here tomorrow, which you're, you're all in, invited to join us with as well. So let's go back to the beginning for a second, to the book of Genesis, to chapter three. There, Adam and Eve were deceived by a serpent. They disobeyed God, and God cast them out of the garden. Now, in fact, the, the Bible also says that God put cherubim there at the entrance of the garden with flaming swords in order to guard the way. They were removed from a place of peace with God, a place of close intimacy with God, a place of safety and close fellowship with him. And ever since then, humanity has been searching for the way back, the way back to that garden, that place of security and closeness with God. But way, we've been wanting a way out of the darkness of this world. But we don't know how to find that way back, do we? In fact, our hearts, that is the, the wayfinder that God has placed within all of us, is broken. It points us in, in directions that, that we think might be the true way, that might lead us to goodness, but end up being dead ends. Our hearts are broken. But also our imaginations are warped. We're not always sure what it is that we're looking for. We can't even fully articulate or describe what it is that would give us true peace or happiness or gladness. And it certainly doesn't help that that wicked serpent is still alive, still tricking men and women, still deceiving them, still clouding our vision, blinding our eyes, still roaring loudly and deafening our ears. We couldn't even find the way if our hearts were working. St. Augustine says the heart is restless until it rests in God. You see, we can't find the way back to God, and so we're restless. We want a way back to the garden. We want a way back to closeness to God. But unfortunately, this way has been shrouded in mystery and in darkness for generations. We stumble in the darkness looking for a way back to God. Well, friends, the beautiful, good, and glorious message of the New Testament is that the darkness has been lifted. God makes a way out of the darkness, out of the toil, and out of the pain into, him, into fellowship with himself. He gives us a way of salvation from all of these things. This way, which has been covered in mystery for generations, has now been revealed. Now, keep in mind exactly what it is that we're talking about here. We're talking about the defeat of Satan. We're talking about the lifting of a curse. We're talking about the salvation of men and women. It's a revelation of the way back to God. Now, how would God want to announce this new path, this way? Surely he'd want to summon the world's greatest influencers, right, to help him spread this word, right? He'd want to gather together generals and rulers and scholars. He'd want the, the world's most important people to help platform this good news of his, right? 
Is that what he decides to do? Shockingly, no. He doesn't make his way known to kings or prophets or mighty men, but instead, he makes his way known first to a peasant girl named Mary on the outskirts of society in some no-name town, in some minuscule, tiny nation on the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was to kind of pick five Bible scenes that I could be there and witness for myself, I think this would be one of them. Like, I would want to see the angel Gabriel standing in front of this shocked girl, Mary, in Nazareth. Like, what would it actually have looked like in that moment? On one hand, you have Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, representing the culmination of thousands of years of of God's people yearning for salvation. You know, his plans for salvation coming, and there he is. He's, He's standing in front of her, just radiating with warmth and glory and goodness. And he brings good news that God is on the move, that a Savior is coming. But then on the other hand, we're, we're here in, in Nazareth, this, this dinky little town on the outskirts of civilization, with Mary, this, this maybe 15-year-old. Most scholars think that she was 13 at the time. And if we were sort of casting characters, and we would have ex- assumed that someone like Mary would be like, uh, like a background character, an insignificant, a nobody in God's grand story. But instead, it's precisely to her that God chooses to make his way known. The angel's message is both personal and cosmic for her. It's, per, it's personal in that she learns that she, a virgin, would be pregnant. But it's cosmic because her son is not just anybody. He's going to be the Messiah. And how does Mary respond to this? She says, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What did Mary's voice sound like in that moment? Was it a humble whisper? Or was it a clear ring of godly confidence? Let it be, she, she says. Now, we sentimentalize this scene quite a bit, don't we? We, we give it the Instagram treatment of, of ironing her clothes and airbrushing her skin and straightening her hair. But I think that we miss the honest realities and the deep beauties, the honest, deep beauties of that moment. Because we see both earthly and dirty realities of of her world and her situation, but we also see the heavenly divine realities at work in this story. And so I want us to take a moment to ponder both the courage of this young girl, Mary, and in doing so, may we gain insight into the beautiful, powerful plan of God's salvation for all of us. So let's look more at Mary's story. So she was engaged. In those days, being engaged was a little different than today. Legally speaking, Mary and Joseph were already considered husband and wife, but their marriage had not yet been consummated. They were forbidden from being intimate until their wedding night. Now, being engaged wasn't necessarily a problem in and of itself. The problem is what the angel was telling her. You're going to be pregnant. (laughs) Now, that is a problem, (laughs) especially in the ancient world. And Joseph, he knew that he wasn't the father. And so what does this mean? Well, being engaged and also pregnant would only add up to one thing for Mary. In her day and age, she would have been labeled an adulteress. Now, according to the law, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, Mary could be sentenced to death by stoning. And there were local customs of of shame that would have been enacted against her that she would have been subjected to. 
You know, these accusations of this kind of sort are, are usually, uh, they usually stir up situations of, of one party denying and one party affirming, and, and they, they, arrive, they generate these, these arguments, right, of he said and she said. Scott McKnight, a, a New Testament scholar, he describes this ancient practice of bitter waters. Have you heard of this? It's kind of like this ancient witch trial sort of situation in, in the Jewish world. Someone who was accused of adultery would be forced to drink holy water mixed with dust to represent your mortality, mixed with ink from a, a scribe's quill to represent the law. Imagine drinking something like that. That's why it's called bitter waters. Now, if she got sick, she was declared guilty. That was God's judgment at work. But if she was fine, then she was found innocent and would be free. This bitter waters test didn't happen in some closed environment either. It happened at the city gates And here in front of the whole community, if she was found guilty, she would also have to be exposed physically. She would be forced to let down her hair. Her jewelry would be removed. And everyone would be encouraged to glare at her in order to drive home the guilt and the shame of her adultery. The law directed Joseph to divorce her. And we know because we've read the story that he doesn't actually do that. But it's only because God intervened in a dream, right? But imagine what Mary was thinking in this moment. She doesn't know how Joseph is is going to react. Here in this moment, she probably thinks that he could quite possibly leave her, facing her with the probable reality of not only being pregnant, but having to raise her son without a father. And so for the rest of her life, she's facing gossip and people speculating against her and slandering about her uh, behind her back. So no doubt, all of these things are racing through Mary's mind in this moment. She has plenty of reason, right, to say, thank you, Gabriel, but no thanks. Please go find somebody else to ask this of. So why does Mary accept? Why does Mary say, let it be your will to the angel? Well, maybe it's because Mary remembers the stories of other vulnerable women in the Holy Scriptures. Women like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, women who were in trouble but found their refuge in God, who could see, who found out, who, who by their lived experience knew that God was a fortress for those who cry out to him. Or maybe Mary looked around the world that she was in, and she saw the oppressive government, she saw its corrupt clergy, and how the king, how this Messiah, his kingdom will have no end. And Mary thinks to herself, yes, this is what I want. This is what we need. This is what my people need right now. My people need a way out of this poverty. We need a a way out of this occupation that we have right now, this corrupt government. We need a way out of the hatred and the violence. And if it means temporarily being misunderstood or shamed, then let it be. Let it be. God is making a way out, and he's bringing freedom and hope. Let it be. Now, it's a biblical fact that Mary's reputation was ruined In John chapter 8, the Pharisees harassed Jesus, saying, at least we weren't born in sexual immorality. And in Mark's gospel, Jesus is mockingly called the son of Mary, which wasn't a compliment. It was insinuating that no one knew who Jesus' father was. You see, very few people would believe Mary's story, even in the New Testament. So Mary saying yes to God did not give her an easy life, did it? What did it give her? Well, by accepting God's offer 
she gained the presence of God himself. She gained intimacy with Jesus. She was able to look upon his face and see him and know that this is the Messiah, that she's holding salvation in her arms. She's able to see all of this. So yes, she might lose her reputation, but she gains fellowship with the God who saves. Later, Mary would sing this. She would sing these words. She would say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary is able to speak that from a place of experience and knowledge. Friends, Jesus Christ steps into the world, and he tells us that he is the way out. He enters the world through Mary's womb, and he stands before us, and he says, I am the way out. He was born of the Virgin Mary and took upon himself our humanity. By his death, he made payment for the sin of the world. By his resurrection, he makes a mockery of death. And by his ascension, he tore open a way into the throne room of heaven itself so that you might be restored into fellowship with God Almighty. Jesus is the way to God. And God wants to give us new life. From his throne, Jesus pours out his spirit upon us, upon those who love him. And his spirit creates life, light in darkness. His spirit creates life in places of death. And it brings forth abundant fruit like joy, peace, hope, and love. And so my question for us this morning is where do you need to experience the life of God this morning, this Christmas season? What new thing do you want God to do for you this season? In the midst of all the busyness and the turmoil, which will die down in a few days, and, you're, and you're, you find yourself in this place of quiet, how do you want to meet God in those moments? So here in a moment, we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion. You're all going to come forward and you're going to open your hands and receive from Jesus this morning. And I'm going to ask that you do two things as you come forward. First, I ask that you bring a prayer. Maybe it's a prayer against something that's plaguing you these days. Maybe it's a prayer about a burden that you're carrying these days or a, a major decision that you have to make. Or maybe it's this desire that you have that, that, that you want to bring before the Lord. Bring a prayer with you this morning. But also when you come forward, open your hands and receive not just a piece of bread from, from the person serving bread, but that you would receive the presence of Christ himself because he is the incarnate one, the one who draws near to his people, who wants to be with his people. He wants to nourish us with his own presence. So hold out your arms this morning and receive from Jesus himself. Be blessed by him this morning. And I don't know what that means or how that will look. I don't know if that means that your prayer will be instantly answered in that moment. Praise the Lord if that's what happens. But it might just be receiving a gentle reminder that you are not alone that God is with you in the darkness, that God wants to meet you in whatever struggle you might be facing, and that he has surrounded you with brothers and sisters in his family to walk with you in these moments. May you receive from Jesus this morning because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Through Jesus, we're able to gain access out of the darkness into the presence of God himself. So come and receive from Jesus who is the life and the light of the world. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your servant Mary. Lord, we thank you that, that she shows us, Lord, what it's like to, to open ourselves up to you in the midst of great adversity and turmoil and sacrifice. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that you would pour your spirit out upon us afresh this morning, Lord. May we be recipients of your life. May we experience the goodness of your presence and fellowship with you. Lord, help us to become more and more like you. We ask all of this in your name and for your glory. Amen.